I have you turned to the passage that we looked at last week and also last night if you were here for the Christmas Eve service. So much richness, so many treasures to mine. I'm going to be reading Luke chapter 2, verse 7 to 14. May God help us as we hear and respond to His Word. And she, that is Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. This is the Word of God. These words are so familiar to you that if you're not careful, you'll miss the treasure they contain. For here in this familiar story, as God breaks in to our darkness with the blinding light of His presence, there is a joy that we can receive anchored in the faithfulness of promises kept that will last us not just through a Christmas season, but into the very end of our lives and beyond into eternity. And it begins with this explosion of light that we see here in the fields outside of Bethlehem. You know the story. If you were here last night, we looked at it in a little detail. But shepherds were the last people on earth you would expect to receive such a vision of angels. They were about as common as common can get, lower class even, living on the fringes of society. Uh, Nobody invited them to their parties. City folk didn't really have time to waste on such vagabonds. And yet God, in His mercy, chose these lowly despised ones to magnify His glory. There's something glorious in that. 1 Corinthians 1.26, written for you and me, says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Never forget that God favors the humble and lowly over the high and mighty. And so humble yourselves that you might receive this vision of His glory and believe and be saved. (laughs) 
We're told in verse 9 that the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. I said last night that these words describe a situation where light is emerging from everywhere around them. It's, it's enveloping them. It, it wasn't just like a spotlight shining down from a single source and falling upon them. It was as if every molecule of creation itself had suddenly been switched on. They were, they were swimming in this light. The very air around them was alive with this energy of God's presence. Because that's what this was. God Himself had drawn near to earth and sent this angel to tell them about it. And it was terrifying. Even though these men were not well educated, they knew that the near presence of God was something to be feared. Do you know that? Or have we become so familiar with the idea of a God who is domesticated and tame? That we have forgotten that without a mediator to stand between us and Him, God is a fiery, consuming presence. Hebrews 12.29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. Every encounter, in fact, in Scripture between this holy God and sinful man results in sheer terror for the man. Isaiah saw Him in a vision and cried out, Woe is me! I'm ruined! Job, holy Job, put his hand over his mouth when God showed up in repentance. And John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, when he saw him in his resurrected glory, fell at his feet like a dead man. You don't saunter up to a God like this in your sin and come away unscathed. And these men knew that. They feared that that, that this vision of angels and the presence of God might forebode judgment. Oh, they'd heard the warnings all their lives from the prophets, places like Malachi 3, 2. But who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when, when He appears? They knew that if, that if this was God's angel coming with an announcement of judgment, they were done for. Which is why the words that come next out of the angel's mouth are so important. You know, we humans are really, really terrible at interpreting signs and events. If we just have the experience, we usually get it wrong. Because the only way we can ultimately know what is right and how to interpret the experience is to stop and hear God speak through His Word. And that's what they receive next from the mouth of the angel. Verse 10, And the angel speaking into their terror says, Fear not, for behold, looky here, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Three things in this heavenly message from this angel that we need to hear this morning. Fear not. This is good news and it will bring you very great joy. First of all, fear not. Fear not. Stop being afraid. And listen to what God says. Again, they had every reason to be afraid. God's messenger was standing before them with God's glory streaming and blazing all around them. I mean, 
forget these pretty little pictures of soft, effeminate angels we get on Christmas cards. Hebrews 1.7 says that He makes His angels winds, His ministers a flame of fire. Angels are terrifying creatures when they want to be. Which is why when they show up, they're always saying, don't be afraid. I'm not here to kill you. (laughs) Because we do fear. And we today also, we have many things, humanly speaking, to fear, don't we? We haven't seen any visions of angels. But we're watching our culture grow more and more rebellious against God. I mean, overtly. We're seeing the very truths of God despised and rejected and mocked so that those who hold to these truths, like the ancient shepherds, find ourselves marginalized, pushed to the fringes of society, outcasts. And we begin to wonder, well, what's next? And we know that the further a culture devolves away from the sanity of God's Word, the more incurably insane that culture becomes. And we're seeing that. Because a culture can only go so far into this kind of moral insanity before it absolutely begins to fracture and fall apart. And so if all you're doing is looking around at the things that are happening around you, you will fear. But stop! The angel says, stop and listen to the message of God's word. Fear not. Why? Oh, because I've got some really good news for you. That brings us to that second statement, doesn't it? The angel says, fear not because I bring you good news. Verse 10, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, make sure you make the connection between these. The reason to stop the fear is because good news is here. In other words, the remedy for your fearful fretting is found in hearing the announcement of what God has done. And so you turn your eyes away from these things that you don't understand and can't predict and can't control and you set them on Him who is in control. You let Him tell you why there is hope and joy and confidence available to you. I bring you good news. Now that's one word in Greek. Euangelizomai, isn't that a mouthful? (laughs) It's where we get our word to evangelize. Um, Euangelizomai. It means to proclaim good news, to announce good news, to to make gospel known. In fact, when John Wycliffe translated the Bible into English in 1380 in defiance of papal authority, he rendered it that way. He said, I evangelize you with great joy. Now listen to that. The good news about Christ proclaimed and received is the foundation upon which our joy is built. Because real joy like this is not something you can just manufacture for yourself. Not really. It's something that must come to you from Him. It must be given from above and received. It must be brought into your life. You can't just make this happen. 
And the way that it is brought into your life is through the hearing and believing of this gospel good news. In fact, notice how personal this is. He says, he doesn't just say, I bring good news to no one in particular. He says, I bring you good news, shepherds. It's for you out here on the margins. It's for you to take hold of. So take hold of it, shepherds. Believe it. You see, it's not just believing that there is such a thing as good news out there somewhere. It is believing that this good news has been given to you for you to take hold of. This is what brings life. Peter talks about the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. You can look it up later if you, if you don't want to turn there now, but... In 1 Peter 1, Peter is speaking specifically to Christians about our struggles, our pains, our our trials, our traumas here in this life and how those things as we keep trusting in Christ push us more and more toward Christ. But then he says this, 1 Peter 1 verse 8, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you don't see Him now, you believe in Him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the, out, the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Think of that. Though you have never seen Him with your eyes, when you believe on Him from the heart because of this gospel message that you have heard and believed, this joy becomes yours. That joy is transmitted in Christ through faith in the gospel. Now that's what the angel is announcing here. Because that is what Christ has come to give. Do you remember in Luke 4, uh, when Jesus stood for the first time in His home synagogue there in Nazareth to announce to them why He'd come? It says He took the scroll of Isaiah, He unrolled it to the place that we call Isaiah 61, and He read these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me, anointed Christ idea, He has anointed me to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor, which is exactly what the angel is already doing here. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, here meaning captives of sin, recovery of sight to the blind, those who don't see God will see Him, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or grace. Now what is that? Well, that's the gospel. That's the good news. Christ has come to free us from our sins. He's he's taken it all upon Himself and carried it away to the cross so that when He died and rose again, all our debt was paid if we trust Him. All that was against us has been cleared away and we have been set free to enjoy the Lord's favor forever. What a gift. Where's Rob? That's shouting ground, brother. There we go. Have you received this gift? That's the most important question that you can be asked. Are you trusting Christ by faith in this good news? And oh friend, won't you hear that? Won't you believe that? This good news is not about a Christmas morning. This good news is about a Christ who has come for sinners. 
And so you receive Him and you look to Him then throughout the year and throughout your life because that's what enables you to join with the angels in singing joy to the Lord. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. That brings us into the third thing the angel said. He said, this good news is our foundation for lasting joy. In other words... When Christ is near, there is great joy. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Do you see how this all comes together in Him? How it's all about Him? It's not about angels lighting up the night sky. It's it's not about wise men in mangers filled with hay. It is about the Savior who came to rescue us from our sin. Christ the Lord, the promised Son of David. He Himself is the source of our joy. Not these things we get at Christmas, right? Not the gifts that we give, as enjoyable as that is. But the one we receive by faith in the Father who lights up our lives with His presence and grace. He is the one who dispels the darkness. He is the one who conquers our fears when He is near. He is the one who gives us life. I mean, please, don't miss this. Don't miss Him because you've got your eyes on all these other things. He is the one who brings the light of life and the joy of heaven into the darkness of our world. I mean, you remember what he said, right? John 8, 12, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, there's a really cool connection here between this passage and the one Warren preached a couple of weeks ago from Isaiah 9. In Isaiah 9.2 it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them, the light has shone. And then we just think about these shepherds standing around in darkness who are suddenly startled by the blazing light of His presence from heaven. (laughs) What a visible enactment that is. And then verse 3 goes on to say that This one who is coming will bring them great joy. And it does bring them joy. Uh, Just glance at the end of this passage in verse 20. It says, These shepherds, after they heard the news, went and saw the Christ. They returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They're filled with joy. Why are they filled with joy? What is the source of that joy? Well, it's the child. We see that in Isaiah 2. Isaiah 9, verse 6. What's the reason for the joy? Who's the light lighting the darkness? Verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And we hear the echo here in verse 11 in our passage. Why is there good news of great joy? For unto you... Very similar construction. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This day, notice, meaning right now, right? Today, 
Not one day, not at some point in a hoped-for future. What makes this announcement different from all that came before in prophetic history is that this announcement is telling us that it's done. The waiting is over. Messiah is not just coming at this point. He has come. When? Today. Where? Right over there in the city of David, little Bethlehem, as the prophet foretold. I mean, can you imagine the wonder that filled these men's hearts when they heard that? Does any of that wonder still fill our hearts this morning? Wonder not just about promises given, but about God's promises kept. Again and again and again. I was reminded reading this of Joshua 21 verse 45 where in his day we're told not one word of all the good promises of the Lord that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All of them came to pass. Dear church, we can say that. We can say that all these great promises concerning the first coming of Christ have been fulfilled and are still being fulfilled in our lives daily. I mean, enumerate them someday. The promise of salvation, check. The promise of new life through faith, check. The promise of resurrection still to come, waiting on that one. The promise of final victory over sin, which begun, but is not fulfilled yet. And yes, of course, the promise of His triumphant return. I've been doing a little research on Advent. I wish I'd done this a month ago so I could have included it this year. I'll have to wait till next year. But apparently the celebration of Advent began not as a celebration of Christ's first coming, but as a reminder and celebration of His promised coming. That these two things go together and just in, in church history, they, they begin blending them so that it became a celebration of what we call Christmas, but it began as a celebration of the promised return. And so we ought to mix these together because they belong together. The consummation when He returns, Hebrew 9.28, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin this time. He already did that at the first coming. But to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Folks, He is returning. Our Savior will return. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Oh, do you know Him? Are you trusting Him? Who is this King of glory? Three titles are given to him here. Quickly, every one of them matters. Every one of them should fill our hearts with hope and joy. First of all, we're told he is the Savior. Savior means he's the one who rescues us from our trouble. And we are in trouble because of our sin and our brokenness. Our sin broke the world. Our sin breaks our lives. Our sin has plunged us into darkness and destroyed all that is good. But Christ is the light with power to destroy the darkness. In His coming, heaven has reached down to earth to pull us free. He is the Savior. Second, He is the Christ. Christ. You know that's not His name, right? It's His title. It reveals His identity. 
Christ means the anointed one. In the Old Testament, it referred to the one coming in the line of David that God promised to send. That's why city of David, Bethlehem, matters in this passage. Because this is the one all those prophecies point to. And again, God is found being faithful to keep His promises. Hundreds of them. Too many for us to try to count this morning. So He's called Christ because God is a faithful promise keeper. The promised one has come. And then He is Lord. He's Lord. He reigns. In fact, the way the angel puts this is unlike anywhere else in Scripture. This is a unique phrasing here. What he literally says is, a Savior who is Christ Lord. Like there's a hyphen there. A Savior who is Messiah Lord. As if these two are one thing. Meaning, well meaning that the one who came to fulfill all these promises isn't just another man sent by God. He is God Himself come as man. He's the God-man. He's the Messiah who is Lord. He is humanity and deity joined together in one holy person. You see, God's not leaving this to chance. He's he's not going to place a weight like this on the shoulders of any mere man. He is going to bear this weight Himself for us. You see, that's what makes Christ the unique and only Savior. He is God with us. Emmanuel. God come for us and for our salvation that by faith in Him we might receive His joy in His presence forever. That's what I want to leave you with this morning. This salvation which comes by faith in the promised Christ. This salvation that comes by faith in the promised Christ is your gateway to everlasting joy. Not just happiness, mind you. I mean, happiness is a good thing. I I, I love to be happy. I I want you to be happy. I want my grandkids to be happy and my children. But happiness, as you know, tends to be very fleeting. It comes and goes based on what is happening. So happiness is kind of like a thermometer. It responds to what's going on around it. When things are good, it goes up. When things are bad, it goes down. But joy, the joy we're talking about here, is like a thermostat. It sets the temperature of your life. Joy comes in when things are hard and lifts your eyes to Christ so that you can see Him reigning for your good. Joy undergirds your hope in Christ when you've sinned and reminds you that these sins are forgiven in Christ. Joy is like the furnace of God's presence bringing warmth and assurance into the coldness of your world. It it helps you keep your eyes fixed on Him. That's what a Christ-centered joy does. It keeps you looking to Christ. So let me just tie all this together, going back to Warren's message on hope and Kyle's message on peace. 
Joy is what happens when the reality of hope fills your heart. Because you know that He cannot fail. You know that He will not forsake you. You know that He will keep every promise that He has made to you so you rejoice even in the midst of trials. And joy is what you experience when the peace of God that surpasses understanding guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus because you are assured of His love for you. You are assured of His forgiveness. You are assured that He will never leave you or forsake you. That's the reality God brings to our lives as we receive Christ and rest on Christ and keep trusting Christ. When that happens, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's the message the angel came to proclaim to the shepherds and to us. So will you trust Him? Dear one, whatever's going on in your life, will you look to Him, look away from everything else to Him? Will you receive the promise of His Word? Put aside your own feelings of either unworthiness or foolishly worthiness and look and see the one who came for the unworthy, the despised, the rejected, and was in fact despised and rejected for us that we might have hope in Him forever. Look to Him and rejoice. If you want to stand with me, I'm going to close with the passage we've referred to often over the past three weeks, Romans 15.13. Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Lord Jesus, help us abound in hope as we look to You by faith alone through Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Brother, come and lead us.